Hi, Hi friends. friends. Welcome to Snack Time. I'm Nicole. And I'm Brandy. And this is the Mentors Who Made Us episode of the Snack Time Project. So get cozy, grab a snack, and let's get started. Snack time shanty, we didn't know what snack time was many years ago, but we knew we were showing up for each other in a sacred ritual. Soon may the snack time come to bring us cookies and tea and fun. One hour the podcast runs, we have a lot of hope. We have created a space that's warm and safe, so join us, mates. You may not know what snack time is, but it's gonna be dope. Soon may the snack time come to bring us cookies and tea and fun. One hour the podcast runs, we have a lot of hope. Last week, we talked about manifesting magical moments. This week, to continue our theme of intentions and luck and fate, We're talking about mentors who have had a significant impact on our lives. Yes. Um, I do have a snack today. I'm just going to show you. I brought an entire chocolate bunny. (laughs) I love it. Because I'm an adult, and if I want this, I can just have it. I don't even have to wait for Easter. You do you. Yeah, I got this actually to mail to my nephew, and it did not fit in the box. So that's how I got it. Is that like the thought that counts messaging? I went to send this to you, but I didn't. Well, I sent him some raisins. <laughs> because that that fit in. that fit the little hole that I was trying to cram the bunny in. <laughs> it's like when you are excited about the tooth fairy. <laughs> it's just like an IOU and not money. I actually um, baked a pie yesterday in honor of pie day. Uh, It was an apple pie. It was all hands on deck. We we all participated in putting the pie together, and we even carved a little pie symbol in the crust. I want to say that was my husband's, like, greatest contribution (laughs) to how how amazing the pie symbol came out. Um, It also tasted good, too, so that was a bonus. I forgot it was Pie Day, because I, I guess it's probably not a thing in Ireland since you read the date, the day, and then the month, so it would be 14-3 instead of 314. Mm, not as great. Now I want to go make a pie. You should. You should do it in honor of Pie Week. It's funny because it's one of the March traditions that we uphold fairly consistently. Like we've always either bought a pie or made a pie on pie day. Yeah, I've, I think I forget about it every year, honestly. <laughs> um, when I was a student in elementary school, we celebrated pie day and you could order a pie, like a little mini pie for your desk. You could order a mini pie? <laughs> yeah, I, it was probably like a fundraiser that somebody was you know, using as an opportunity, but they would pass around a sheet, I guess the day before, and you would select the flavor that you wanted, like (laughs) chocolate or strawberry or lemon. They were weird flavors too. And then I don't know how much it was. It was probably a couple of dollars, but if you did not bring the money, this is actually not the story I want it to be now that I'm thinking about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is when you actually start to look at childhood and you're like, that was actually sad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, because some kids got like four pies (laughs) if they had enough money, Um, which is really unfair because I don't think everyone got a pie. I always got one. So for the rest of the month of March, we're just going to be sending people random pies just to to make up for this experience in elementary school. Just go ahead and contact everyone in your yearbook and send them the pies. <laughs> Just, I think this is your opportunity. I don't have access to my yearbooks right now because they're in my storage unit. Just go down old contact list. You're like, you know what's been bugging me all these years? <laughs> that you didn't get a pie. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good plan. I'm going to stop eating this bunny. I'm sorry. It's going to slow down the you, pace of our you conversation. Look very happy. <laughs> I, I recently discovered a TikTok where she goes through all the old nursery rhymes and tells the tragic story and the actual meaning behind each nursery rhyme. 
Oh. And it just, like, ruins your childhood one song at a time. I was going to say, that already sounds really tragic. (laughs) I just get so teary-eyed. I'm like, these are very dark. I guess that's how people remember stories and learn lessons through a catchy song or a jingle to help you associate or remember things. But if you're thinking about how stories are told through an upbeat jingle, but it's a sad tale. (laughs) Right. I mean, like, no, it's a very effective method. I'm just wondering how, who made the decision of like, this is something that we want to remember and this is how we're going to. Right. A lot originated in England. I was thinking about like Humpty Dumpty and a few other ones. Maybe Mary had a little lamb. Yeah, I don't I don't know the story behind those. I'll send you the link. <laughs> it's a whole I I watched them all and then I was just very disturbed and I'm like, I don't know. Like what song can I sing? I guess just the ABCs now. Wheels on the bus seems pretty practical. Yeah, but do you know like the version of Wheels on the Bus that I sang is very different from, like, what Brett sang. <laughs> like, in his preschool, it was like, the daddies on the bus scream, get that baby quiet. Did you sing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> we have... The one I sing, the daddies say, I love you. <laughs> but yeah, same thing. <laughs> so someone along the lines made a very intentional edit of that song. But yeah, yeah, I just, we have a video of him when he's like three years old singing like with his little voice, probably a little older, but, um, cause this it was, was last digits. year. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> this was single digits. Age was in single digits, but it's just like the babies on the bus go, why, why, why? And then it's like the daddies on the bus say, get that baby quiet. <laughs> it's so aggressive. It's so aggressive. Well, I, was I think thinking, <laughs> it doesn't even like fit within like the stanza, like the. <laughs> What? I think I just exaggerated that more than I needed to. <laughs> but fine. yeah, it was like, it's a shout. It's different. Anyway, that kind of ruined the song for me. Yeah, I I don't even like that the moms say shush, shush, shush. I'm like, why are the moms the nagging ones? Why did daddies get to say I love you? So I intentionally changed it to I love you. I love you is better. <laughs> all right. So when we say mentor, just so that we're all on the same page, um, we have some some definitions here. I'll read the longer one, the one about the Odyssey. Okay, great, because I don't even know how to say their names. So <laughs> so a mentor is a, a trusted counselor or guide. It's the activity of giving a younger or less experienced person help and advice over a period of time, especially at work or at school. And a mentor may share with their mentee or protege information about their own career path as well as provide guidance motivation emotional support and role modeling a mentor may help with exploring careers setting goals developing contacts and identifying resources fun fact time we acquired mentor from the literature of ancient greece In Homer's epic The Odyssey, Odysseus was away from home, fighting and journeying for 20 years. If you didn't know, he was away fighting in the Trojan War. He's the one who actually created the horse, the Trojan horse. It was his design. Mm. During (laughs) During that time... Telemachus, the son he had left as a babe in his arms, grew up under the supervision of a mentor, an old and trusted friend. So when the goddess Athena, the goddess of wisdom, decided it was time to complete the education of young Telemachus, she visited him disguised as a mentor, and they set out together to learn about his father. Today, we use the word mentor for anyone who is a positive guiding influence in another, usually younger person's life i feel like you've really read the odyssey so if you actually look down at books that influenced me i i cite the iliad in the oh. odyssey. <laughs> wow but yes i have read it <laughs> it's fine i'm excited to get to that part now so i mean most of these were kind of career oriented but it doesn't have to be career specific all the time it can be someone who 
is a, a role model or someone who influences the way that you, at least in my experience, live your life. It doesn't have to be specific to um, a career, although I think it often is. I think a lot of people think mentor associated with a career. Um, so that's where it gets tied to education and jobs. But I feel a lot of my mentors and inspiration also come from volunteering, um, from historical and influential figures that have come before me or that are still alive today and that have inspired me to pursue certain directions in life yeah so i just breaking off some more of my my chocolate bunny here i know <laughs> it's fine i was like should i get chocolate i should i should text sean to bring me chocolate he said he was gonna bring me apple pie Ooh, yeah get get something you say that now until you're editing out like me eating apple pie during the podcast <laughs> so we um i guess we need to do our story time it's story time we need the jingle so pew pew no that's not it <laughs> This week, we polled, do you now or have you previously had a mentor in your life? And 86% of respondees said yes. And 14% said not really. If yes, how did you find them? Some people said college and church. A couple people said work. Some said as a grad student. And then someone said at my job and in college. Yeah, I think this is kind of what I was expecting to see. There's a lot of people referencing work. Um, We also asked, what are the traits of a good mentor? They are attentive, listening, um, honest, provides honest feedback, sets realistic expectations. Someone said that they are a listener, they are kind, passionate, um, driven. That goes along the lines of inspiring and certainly someone that you can model behavior after yeah and i i think too when i think about the traits of a good mentor i think it has to be kind of a two-way investment a mentor actually has to get to know you to understand like what your own goals are what your own passions are and how to help guide your path yes and i appreciate that you're saying your goals and like getting to know the mentee because i think there might be a tendency to um, want to just have a mentee who's going to emulate you and have the exact same career aspirations that you have. And that can feel really special that someone's interested in, in getting that advice from you. But I think a really good mentor is better at kind of appreciating the differences and recognizing that they're not training an apprentice to be exactly who they are with exactly the same personality and goals and aspirations but um that they're a different person and i think appreciating those differences and i mean ideally assuming that you have something to learn too from this mentee that it's a two-way relationship i think that makes a really a really good um mentor agreed when you think of a mentor it is someone who's who's open and, and honest with their own ability to accept that people may choose a different path or people may find success in getting to their goal a different way from their own. And that could be hard for yes. people because uh, a lot of people tell stories and kind of accept it at face value that this was my experience and this is how you succeed. And that's just one story. Right. Because it's not like, I mean, it's different if you are truly like an apprentice and you're learning a very specific skill, that's one thing. But I think mentorship is more about um, kind of passing down advice that is applicable and is like malleable enough that you can take it with you, that you're not a cog in a machine, you're actually a human. Yes. I, I kind of see guidance as almost a la carte. You can pick and choose what works for you, what's applicable for you, and what is able to work within your own life circumstances. Because, I mean, obviously you can try advice and it doesn't stick. You can disregard it, but... 
Yeah. I, I think a lot of people do give advice, but um, oftentimes, you know, you do have to pick and choose what works and doesn't work for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, the last question that we asked is, tell us about a book or film that changed your life. One person said, Man's Search for Meaning. Another person said, I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. Someone else said, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. Um, a couple people said Untamed. And someone else wrote Think Again by Adam Grant. Yeah, I meant to go through and kind of pull some synopses for these. I'm assuming they're all books, although now I'm not sure. Yes, I actually haven't read any of these books or, or seen any of these films, so I'm just going to slowly add them all to my wish list right now which is cool to actually see books that um, I wouldn't even have thought of yeah I think we do have a good list have you read Untamed yes I yes I have not but I'm reading this synopsis right now and it looks really interesting oh my gosh well do you know who Glennon Doyle is yes I did like three Instagram stories about this book. She is incredible. She's written kind of um, life experience, self-help style books before that have not always resonated with me because the end game was kind of connected to Christianity and being part of the church and her role of wife. Um, so even when like she had marital problem, there's this ultimate like calling where she came back to her husband and in Untamed, she talks about going through a divorce and dating a woman for the first time who is the amazing U.S. soccer champion, Abby Wambach. Am I saying her last name incorrectly? But it's, it's about their love story. It's about um, co-parenting with her ex, but it's ultimately about being your inner cheetah your inner self and how women are so historically stifled i could talk about any chapter in this book it's a lot about boundaries and like boundaries with her family and how like in order for her to be the best mom she can be i love this i guess when i read this book it was such an experience for me i have the audiobook too and i am not usually an audiobook person but hearing her voice reading it was really powerful just so much of it resonated with me for so many different reasons. But the biggest things, when you are faced with the opportunity to disappoint yourself or disappoint any other person, you need to choose to disappoint the other person. Um, the importance of actually feeling your feelings and how you're supposed to experience that full range of human emotions. So if you were not taught this growing up, how to experience that now. Like, I know for me, I tried to bottle up a lot of or I was taught to bottle up a lot of emotions when I was a kid and a teen. And then for a long time, I concealed parts of my sexuality because I didn't have to be open or visible about it and how damaging that was. I wrote, being a human is really hard, but it's easier if you trust your guts. <laughs> don't waste your life trying to be normal or fit into someone else's standards that don't resonate with you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've read all of her books. They all reflect different points in her life and they're they're all really valuable for what they are. But for me... Um, yeah, Untamed resonated a lot. I love what you said about disappointing others versus accepting disappointment for yourself. I can see how that leads to a spiral of constantly putting others before yourself, like the giving tree. <laughs> can we please rewrite the giving tree? Mm -hmm. It's just such a heartbreaking concept, and I think it is such a damaging idea or concept of motherhood that you just give and give and give until there is nothing left and then you're happy just happy with the other person's happiness is your happiness it's a very sad ending and then you the, the idea that you should that your kid should be your everything your pride and joy and then when they grow up and they're an adult, how would you not just live through them if that is what you've been doing for 20 years? I mean, and I love, like, I love how Glennon boldly says that to her daughter because her daughter, after, like, talking about this, said, but, like, what about you? Like, I wouldn't want to disappoint you. And she's like, honey, like, especially me. You have to be your own person. And, um, and I, I think it's one of those things, like, that wasn't new information to me, but I felt like it was selfish to focus on like not disappointing myself all of the time. Like it made sense to concede here and there to accommodate friends and family. 
but I don't think that's disappointing yourself. Like if you do something kind for someone else that makes you neglect um, something for a short period of time, like that's one thing. But when you feel like this doesn't feel right to your moral code or this just doesn't feel like like I'm disappointed in my behavior or I'm I'm not standing up for something that's really important to me. Because like I feel like that was me with... Um, with my queerness for a long time was like, I'm just, I'm not going to rock the boat. There's no need to talk about this. And I'm just going to like hide this little part of myself because it seems like this is better for everyone else, but it was not better for me. And like, yeah, it was just really powerful to think about it that way. I, I do think it's powerful to believe in your own feelings and to feel safe, to be able to express your feelings and it's sad when you have to hide it and suppress it. And I think a lot of buried emotions can really start to have impact on all aspects of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think looking at it from her like religious lens too, where there's kind of a defined expectation for what it means to be a woman and what it means in society. And when she started realizing that like gender isn't binary and like, I don't have to follow the script. It's great. That's probably enough about Untamed. I'm, I'm probably going to go read it again because it's been like six months. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm slowly adding them all to my wish list. Um, yeah, I do want to go and, and look up each synopsis now because I, I think you think about some of like the more like classical literature as influential books and it's cool to see other people's perspective. Yeah, but tell me about the um, the Odyssey being a life-changing book. Yeah, I think it's more so it created a love for books. Um, and I read it when I was in the seventh grade in my seventh grade Latin class. Uh, we had talked about the Iliad and the Odyssey and... I pursued studying Latin for seven years after that. Um, my focus was on mythology. I read a ton of books on mythology. Nerd fact, I competed in Kirtaman <laughs> and my, which were little Latin competitions. Yep. Mm -hmm. I said that. And <laughs> we <laughs> competed across the state and I, I focused on mythology specifically. I don't know why that's so funny to tell people, but there were Latin competitions. I was there. Um, our, our team was okay. And that's okay, too. We had great spirit. Um, but <laughs> fun fact as well, we didn't actually have proper bells. It wasn't like that academia challenges where it had Jeopardy style little buzzers you just used your mm. hands to slap the desk so you would slap and raise your <laughs> hands so it made it it made it more like cooler looking from an outside perspective if they were oh to walk <laughs> past this competition i don't know but that you know i lived it i lived and breathed that life for a while <laughs> in my <laughs> adolescence <laughs> i think that's very cool because I did not study mythology except maybe very anecdotally as a like small thing, but I think just the idea of like goddesses was so empowering to me and that like traditionally feminine characteristics could be so much more impactful, like curiosity and like just softness versus um you know, gods that go to go to war and there's a lot of bloodshed and that like I don't know. Clearly, I don't even know that much about it now. I just <laughs> would like to. I think, one, I developed an appreciation for world building. Um, just the idea that other worlds existed. And it's amazing watching fantasy books that I read now of someone create other worlds that people exist in. And that mirror certain lessons and values but to see those play out through stories uh, I think it inspired an epic love for adventures and and dreaming and it's funny how I'll be sitting in a situation and I'll be listening and like in my head I'll have like a funnier story like play out in my mind or 
um, I, I tend to like daydream while I'm I'm just sitting at a desk or um, talk about like hypothetical situations that won't happen. But it is just it's it's a little bit of insight of how my mind works. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of that was influenced by being immersed in this, like you said, like early fantasy. And I mean, I'm not, I don't want to sound like a very old elder millennial when I say this, but I do worry about some of that being lost when you grow up with so much of your time spent focused on the tiny screen and watching short curated content and just like scrolling 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 and trying to get that dopamine response versus reading something that is more um bigger i don't know what i'm trying to say it just it's a very different kind of media to consume it is i think there has been a lot more emphasis placed on that monastery style teaching where your focus is on playing and learning through play and building your imagination again because imagination led to a huge source of I guess my creativity and love for creativity as an adult um, I think it's an important outlet um, it's it's how my brain thrives with being able to have creative outlets whether it's you know creating a podcast with my friend Nicole who (laughs) lives in Ireland or um, designing content for friends or photography or creating amazing um, like craft experiences or going on pretend adventures around our neighborhood Um, I was thinking about how it's funny when you're you're playing with kids again like my daughter who was running around our neighborhood pretending to be a superhero and like in her mind she really does have catboy speed and she can run really really fast and I love that you'll hear her say on videos like catboy speed as she's like zooming down the hill or running past me and there have been moments where uh, ninjas have come and hit us with sticky splat and oh. we've had to freeze until someone comes and rescues us but it is it's funny it feels like you're seeing the world again through her eyes yeah um, and I love that watching her imagination grow and flourish is like really cool reminder as an adult that play is essential <laughs> um, and I guess the adult equivalent is creativity <laughs> Yeah, I mean, any, like, play... Um... An apple pie delivery. Oh, good. I'm going to eat it over here, away from the mic. <laughs> I think the most recent movie that I saw that had a long-term impact on me... it was It's always a movie I watch on a plane. <laughs> I know there have been studies about this, that you are more, like, emotional when you're on a plane. Is that your memoir? Movies I watched on a plane? It really could be. I watched all of Big Little Lies on two different flights. Season one on one flight and season two, like, two years later on a different flight. I watched Game of Thrones on a train once. Ooh. I feel like I had to hide my screen because the show is quite gruesome and not PG content for maybe innocent eyes. Yeah. That's when I do feel, like, a little bit um, nosy I'm always interested to see the variety of things that people choose to watch on planes. Yeah, the movie that comes to mind is About Time. And it's basically like a time travel movie. The concept is that you can choose to relive different parts of your life at any point. And so the father who's like passing this down says, you know, I I learned to just live each of my days twice. So I go through a day and I survive it. And then I relive it, and at the second time, I notice all of the the small joyful t- opportunities to like have a have a moment with someone to be really thoughtful or kind or just to appreciate like life and how easy it is not to do that when you are anxious about 
things that are happening. And like, if you, if you just have that peace of mind that it's going to turn out okay. And like your work meeting is going to go okay. And like, if you have that confidence, then you can actually slow down and, um, appreciate the other stuff. And so then the, the son's like, okay, yeah, he, he basically just tries to do that without the time travel. So I, I, I watched this like as I was on my way to a really stressful work trip and I legitimately tried to practice it. Like instead of being super stressed out when I woke up in the morning and thinking about all of the stuff that was about to happen, I just tried to assume that it was going to be fine and that I was going to be back in that hotel room 12 hours later and to just try to enjoy the process and enjoy the ride for what it is and not take the day too seriously. And it was really helpful. It's hard to do in a lot of circumstances, but um, it had a good impact on me, I think. I think so too. And just the concept of time travel, like when you see it play out in movies and stories about how people try to change the world or influence events um, to lead them in another direction has a spiraling effect on how that it actually creates a different timeline versus correcting something in your previous timeline. Mm, time travel's a hard discussion, but <laughs> it just makes me think of the movie Interstellar. But about time, like we always say that we want more time. It's a big, a big source of stress, I would say, in everyone's life it's, or on the back of their minds about how time is limited and that concept of living presently and living in the moment and re- and not stressing about things that you can't control in the future um, is helpful way to digest stressful events, I would say. As Anna said in Frozen, just do the next right thing. Yeah, I mean, that's really helpful when you're looking, looking down the road at all of the stuff that you're going to have to navigate and figure out to just take it piece by piece. Is, is Frozen a movie that's had a big impact shaped your life? <laughs> I love this story. I, I will say I remember a friend gave me the book Little Blue Truck when my daughter was born and then I read it to her and I cried postpartum reading it because it was a story about a little blue truck that was friendly to all the animals on the farm and then a mean dump truck drove past and got stuck in the mud but the little blue truck came to help Oh, yeah. I do know this story. <laughs> All the animals that the little bit truck was friendly to also came and helped to get the truck unstuck, um, which is a little life lesson on being kind to others. But I remember just being so deep into postpartum and motherhood that I didn't even realize that I was just talking to other adults about this children's book like it was <laughs> this very influential book <laughs> but I, I think that I had read it every single night and yeah it becomes like part of your subconscious yes yes and it's funny that when you read a children's book over and over again it starts to take over your life <laughs> there are some good lessons um did you have any other adult books that you wanted to mention yeah, I would say in, in college, I took this service and communication class that I was very excited for. I felt a lot of my undergrad experience was finding different avenues where I could volunteer and learn about service in the community. So I took this writing class and we would focus on different books And one of them was called Mountains Beyond Mountains by Tracy Kidder. And it followed the work of Paul Farmer, a pretty amazing doctor who he applied this holistic view to treating patients, realizing that there were no pure accidents to how situations unfold. And that just goes to the understanding of like to treat a patient, you also have to treat the community, um, the infrastructure, yes, um, clean water, having access to healthcare, no matter what your social economic status is. It it is a very, I don't know. I I thought it was a very eye opening view 
on healthcare and how we take care of humans in general. I think it led to a lot of volunteer experiences that I had at JMU. One of the quotes that um, came from that book from Haiti, Tutmon Saman, it means we are all humans. Farmer had dedicated himself to serving all humans as humans and turned his attention to nurturing the idea that poor people should not just get the bare essentials of healthcare, that they should receive the top quality preferred options that the wealthy receive. And he wove his philosophy of like, we are all humans throughout all of his his work and his eventual like nonprofit um, that has multiple clinics throughout the, the globe. So it was a really cool book to read. Yeah. Um, a cool perspective. It's funny because at the time when I had read it, like we had just come back from volunteering with Alternative Spring Break for Hurricane Katrina. So I guess to set the stage, like I had gone down to help after volunteering with Hurricane Relief. And I was also looking at our next trip, which was to the Gesundheit Institute. To me, like I saw like so many connections that are just pervasive within our own society how poverty is cyclical, how the disaster in Hurricane Katrina was really the perfect storm, not just because it was an actual storm, but the conditions of the city, the infrastructure that was lacking, and the government's communication response. Like It was interesting to listen and read those stories from the book and apply that to how through my own experiences. Yeah, I mean, just talk about things that you have to unlearn because I, without meaning to, grew up understanding that healthcare was a privilege and not a right. That if if you didn't have a good job, you didn't have health insurance. And if you didn't have health insurance, you didn't have access to treatment. I mean, I've had only a few conversations here so far, but recognizing that like you don't pay for an ambulance. If I had to call 999 not 911, important to remember, I would not pay for that ambulance. And if, if you have a significant medical treatment, you're only going to pay a few hundred dollars at most. And I think if you have cancer and you're getting long-term treatment here, like you get a card signifying that, you don't really have medical bills after the initial stuff. Like it's just such a different concept than where it's normal in the States to have to take out a GoFundMe to pay your medical bills and how many people go bankrupt because of that and that that's just normal. Mm-hmm. It's wild, it's horrible, and it's it's normal. And it was normal to me until I started working in a healthcare nonprofit and had a different perspective and understanding of, of what we could have, especially now just looking at it from a little bit of distance. Yeah, I, I think that's why I tie the idea of mentorship and influence so closely together because I think it is important to see different perspectives and views and kind of collect that knowledge along the way as you're making your own informed decisions. It is really easy to overlook something and and brush it off as a cause and effect. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that back to mentorship, by the way, because then... (laughs) (laughs) So I guess thinking about mentors who we've had whether formally or informally. I spent some time just trying to think about this because I have a couple of go-to people who I will say like, oh yeah, that was my mentor because they were actually an assigned mentor to me. But I think the first person who had like a really impactful influence on me was my, I'm trying to think of the grade. I think it was my ninth grade English teacher, but just like the person who she was and things that she recognized in me before I recognized them in myself. So like when I was struggling with something for her to be able to say, you know, some people, their brains work this way and they get it really quickly. And some people like me and you are going to need to read this, you know, a few times. And just like, I don't know, the way that she met me where I was and encouraged me. And then I think because she passed away a couple of years later, I felt even more of a connection of like wanting to be the kind of person that she was and like be that for other people. So I always think of her and then 
after that in college. People who I worked with, whether directly or indirectly, but in the same office or the same space, like I can, I can just think of several people who just by being the kind of people that they were and being an example of how how you can be a different kind of human and it has been such an interesting transition to see people who i idolized like when i was a grad student and they were in their early 30s to then be in my early 30s and think about like in what ways am i living that is a reflection of the way that they were living and had i not seen that would i would i be who i am now i I realize this sounds very generic Oh, but I I do think a a little bit of confidence goes a long way. You had people that believed in you. Yeah. And that goes a very long way into building confidence. And I can think of a lot of teachers along the way from my ninth grade earth science teacher to a funny um, Latin teacher that I had um, to... Um, a, a handful of professors that have guided me along the way. The things that stick out, not directly specific experiences, but I know that we had a connection, a relationship where it was safe to talk to them. They would listen to me. They would encourage my ideas and build confidence, that encouraging voice. Even if Like I didn't turn out to be an earth science teacher or pursue the love of earth science. Um, She still had an impact on me because she believed in me. Although I will say I have played a lot of trivia at Buffalo Wild Wings and I randomly would nail a lot of earth science questions. I will give her kudos for that. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's great like having people believe in you. I think that's where you see a lot of people have that ability to pursue their own dreams because they have that reassurance along the way to to keep going. Yeah, I and I think it is about that confidence building and that validating and that just like being recognized. And I think a lot of my early mentors, and when I say early, I mean like in college, professors, people who I worked with or worked for, I think I just admired people who were living their authentic lives. I think I had seen a lot of people who were definitely trying to conform or fit into a certain kind of society. And it's something that I think I was very aware of in my early adolescence that I wanted to fit in the mold and um, do what was expected of me. And I just, it really was very valuable for me to see people who were just doing their own thing and being really happy and being really confident and being on a different path. Right. It really goes back to that question we always ask ourselves, what do you want to be when you grow up? And again, like we just talk about like in the in previous episodes of tying ourselves to one thing because I see it as an evolving process and it really is about finding your own way, what works for you what makes you happy, what brings you joy. (laughs) It is a journey finding your own path when you actually step outside of college or high school. Like it's hard to visualize the future, but when you see someone who is maybe only a few years older than you or a little bit ahead of you in terms of career path or life stuff, it can be a very helpful like visualization process. Oh, that's that's what my life could look like. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that's what I gravitated to with a lot of people who um, were maybe filling a gap where if I didn't have a lot of feminist role models in my life or I didn't have a lot of queer role models or people who had value systems outside of this very patriarchal, I can never say this word, patriarchal. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> Well, there's some words that I just struggle with so much. Anecdotal? I can't say Anna. Oh, yeah. Anic- anecdotal. Anecdotal. Right? Like I, yeah. We majored in communication. <laughs> yeah, but not like the phonetic. Like, <laughs> basically, I'm trying to say outside of like misogyny, like, like just seeing people who have different kinds of values and just being able to identify those qualities that are so important for for just stepping out of this really toxic 
environment that is so pervasive. I agree. I think it's especially important to see female astronauts, lawyers, Supreme Court judges, or politicians pave the way. It's inspiring. It shows the possibility of what could be. And and that's huge when you're talking about inspiring young people to keep dreaming, having that passion and that drive, overcoming obstacles and the value of of leadership and persistence. And even in the workplace, there's been a lot of, of strong female bosses and coworkers that I've had the privilege to work with um, to see them thrive and also be realistic about what it's like to work and an often like male dominated environment to kind of level your expectations of like here are the challenges I've faced like it's not all sunshines and rainbows <laughs> and to give advice on how to navigate how to strengthen your own mind to the challenges that you're going to face to leveling your expectations and and building that confidence and strength to take on those next steps I have been pretty lucky that I have not been professionally in many male-dominated spaces. So I've had a lot of women who I've looked up to and non-binary trans women who have had really impactful and powerful roles. There have been men that I admired a lot too, but it just disrupts just the, the whole world that I grew up in was that like white men we're going to be decision makers and we're going to be presidents and we're going to be at the top of any company or work organization. So yeah, it was really powerful. And I feel very lucky that in my early career that those leadership positions were not male dominated. I love that how, as you walk through life, you are exposed to so many different perspectives and backgrounds and stories that shape you and challenge your perspective. It's inspiring to see minority voices break the glass ceiling and succeed despite obstacles. But yeah, it is, it's truly a cultural shift of understanding of how we operate. For sure. And and I think it's also, it can be really valuable if, if you're not in a workplace where you're going to find a mentor who embodies the values that you are personally holding or aspiring to hold or if if you don't have a mentor who looks like you thankfully there are opportunities to connect virtually just reading books that super inspire you or connecting with people who have like a big like twitter presence or instagram presence like i often refer to someone as my like instagram hero even though i've only talked to her a little bit she's taught me so much about just like resisting capitalism in the first place because i like grew up thinking that capitalism was the one and only best superior uh way to have a society which i no longer believe she's just very reflective and self-aware and has also like uh, her own like internalized biphobia in times that she was also not out or not comfortable with the label and how she worked through that. Um, Just like the way she does her content, like I've realized recently, anytime that I share something on social media, it's not as accessible as it should be. This is a little bit of a tangent, but like America is not very accessible. I've noticed since I've moved here, like anytime I buy Tylenol, it's a braille reading of Tylenol on the back of it. I'm like, do we have this in America? I don't think so. And like, and I was, I was talking about this with someone later and like, well, how does a blind person differentiate between medicine bottles when they're shopping in the store? And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think you can do that when you're alone. Anyway, I'm just realizing like, yeah, I should have image descriptions on stuff that I post. Video captions. Yeah. Just lots of stuff that is so easy and is unfortunately just not standard yet. So surrounding myself by people who prioritize those things has a good impact on me and influences me to recognize where I can do better. That reminds me of, um, I was recently watching an episode of the Patriot Act and the host was talking about how America is a very winner takes all society. It's that's why we have such negative partisanship. That's why we 
can't have any success with a third party. And that's why people are, are voting on policy to not have the other side win. Um, it is very much a my way or the highway mentality. And as opposed to, I think, more Eastern cultures that are more conversational, more open to different perspectives. And so when you think about accessibility and how that is woven through different aspects of our society, you think about English should be the only language taught, whereas in European cultures, you'll see most families are bilingual, multilingual. Oh, yeah. You'll see more accessibility. You'll see more acceptance with immigration. And just it definitely lends itself to our exceptional way of thinking. We are the leaders <laughs> and are, are very much special over other other countries or it's so insular like there's just so much resistance to other i've i've learned that at least many of the people i have met here seem to agree that in general everyone hates america like it's like a pretend sure you're great come over be a tourist but like no like you were saying it's just everybody here speak so many different languages. My immigration process has been so humane and so smooth, even in the pandemic. And I mean, no, I'm not saying that Ireland's perfect or that anywhere else is perfect, but I don't know enough about the political parties in Ireland to, to talk much about it, but there's not, you don't have to wait four years. Like you can have an election if you need an election. Biden is still like considered conservative in terms of like the political spectrum here. Anyway, like mentors can be really helpful in helping me understand and see things in a different way than I have before. It's been a really valuable perspective for me to just get some distance and hear a lot of different perspectives on um, the U.S. How I, Basically, pretty much every belief system that I've ever known is being ripped apart. <laughs> really gradually, it's just like little, little tears. <laughs> I do. I love getting into those philosophical discussions. And I think that's why I found my undergrad of international studies so, so helpful. Just understanding why other nations were built the way they were. And really just finding compassion in other people's stories. Um, I think there's a tendency, especially from the U.S. perspective, to look down versus looking at someone as your equal. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember reading a really impactful and valuable um, essay in an anthropology class that is written about American culture, but the way that it's written sounds, um, it just makes it sound as weird and barbaric and reckless as it is, but you don't um, realize that you're reading about America. It was a really valuable class discussion to have because half of the class got it and the other half still thought we were talking about some quote unquote third world country. <laughs> and they're like, oh, wait, wait, no. Where, where did you guys hear that? <sighs> if I could go back to college, change my major, do it again, I definitely would. But the anthropology class, I think, is one of the more valuable, just like cultural perspective ones that I have. Just like I remember looking at a map upside down, how disorienting it was to just try to find things on a map when it was upside down and realizing I only looked at this sphere of the world floating in the air from like one perspective for the first 21 years of my life. You know, like why is North America always front and center? Yeah, it was great. That reminds me of one of my inspirational anthropologist is Margaret Mead. She said the quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. The only thing that ever has. <laughs> I think I said it at so many different events that I spoke at, at um, when I, I went on uh, future alternative spring breaks when I'm surrounded by the group of 10 people that I was with. And I was like, us, this little yeah. group can make an impact, even if it's just with un one individual. Those grassroots, these small moments of change that have some of the greater impacts. Um, and it was cool to actually be in St. Bernard's 
parish in New Orleans, and I remember we were sleeping in a church that was under 24 feet of water, thinking about how people were living in this devastation after Hurricane Katrina, and meeting individuals. When you talked about that mutual growth and understanding that we were there to help rebuild the community, but truthfully, like we grew a <laughs> hundred times after that. Um, like watching a man being reunited with his dog after, after two years, a woman from Michigan found his dog and drove it all the way down to Aww. New Orleans so he could be reunited with, it. I like bawled like a baby. Like I just, <laughs> I was like, he got his dog. <laughs> it was so sweet, but it is so inspiring to see like people come together and just the impact a small group can have in like, it's a, it's a ripple because it kind of ignites like a, a spark of, of change that people carry with them. It's cool to see that ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that, um, Margaret mean quote being in your, um, email signature when I met you. I did. I really just put that everywhere. I think about like a lot of the service opportunities that we created in, um, the sorority I was in, in, in college and, what does picking up trash on the side of the road impact? Yeah. Like these little things play a part of a bigger picture. Um, and you, you can have an impact no matter how small you think. Which is, which is very empowering and very humbling and very scary. Because, I mean, as many people as I can name who were just like had a phenomenally positive impact on me, there are also people who without meaning to had really like said something in a way that was just more hurtful than it needed to be or just wrong or or difficult and how like that had a really lasting impact on me and it's something i and just i think about it all the time that i never want to be so consumed with myself and my own circumstance that i accidentally or inadvertently say something without the care or patience that I should and then I like wreck someone like I just know ne- I never want to do it and I'm it, I, we all do it all the time like I know it just it happens because people mishear things or think something's directed to them when you're talking to someone else like there I don't know there there are ways that it's like obviously very accidental but I think it's that belief that we can do better of just believing in that things may not be perfect now, um, but we can keep trying and dreaming that we can do better. We can create a better world um, and not sitting in the mistakes of the past, unlearning things that people um, have taught and negatively impacted you. Uh, I think about things that I pass on to my children, uh, just those little moments where my daughter spills milk and the saying of we don't cry over spilt milk because mistakes don't happen unless it's breast milk then we cry like I will (laughs) I legit have spilt six ounces of breast milk and I had to walk away my husband had to come and clean it up because I was very very sad Um, (laughs) but it is true like that moment of like when someone makes a mistake of how you react to a child's mistake um, impacts how they they feel about coming to you when a mistake is made or they're in trouble and they need help and you want to start like setting the precedence that you are a safe space and mistakes do happen I mean there there are consequences still but (laughs) um you know you can work on a path forward or a solution together I do want to say that not only did I, I learn professionalism work ethic and certainly things that could work in a professional environment. But what I I also loved are stories where mentors were faced with great obstacles and overcame those obstacles um, because I I find those stories even more encouraging than, you know, five steps on how to be successful in the workplace. I think it is, it's it's much more... um, I guess, realistic to hear that people do face challenges in in the workplace and in life and you do come out on the other side. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just realized I really didn't talk about this at all, but in my work setting, I was professionally paired with a mentor and I was so excited because she's someone who I already like admired a lot professionally and just as a human. And I knew she had overcome a lot in her life. So I was so excited to, um, to, to be paired with her and to work with her. But, but I think my initial idea was that she was just going to have all of the answers that I would be able to come to her with something I was struggling with. And she would say, Oh, well, I had this similar situation. This is how I, I dealt with it. And instead, often she would say, yes, I'm struggling with that too. Um, but that, but that was actually so, so helpful because I realized that even people who I saw and imagined that they had everything together and they had accomplished so much and they were just like a sum of their accomplishments, they too were unsure of the next right step. And they too were, um, were still navigating life and figuring out life and deciding what they want to be when they grow up. And that was very, validating and comforting and reassuring it felt much more like a back and forth neutral two-way relationship and i and i just i felt so special to have this time that was just dedicated to sitting down and, and talking with her and i wish that everyone had that opportunity because we didn't really have a super formal mentorship program it was just kind of within my cluster at work something that people had started to do was like pair more junior staff members with more senior staff members and it was great there are these specific moments these people that help influence our paths and whether it be friends or or family or co-workers or role models that influence you that encourage you that inspire you to keep dreaming um, to overcome obstacles, to just keep going or to do the next right step. Um, it's, it's people. They have a huge impact on who we are and where we are today. And now it's time for our snack time challenge segment. So among other things, we believe that simple acts of snack themed kindness can ignite hope, spread love, and foster friendships. With this in mind, at the end of each episode, we're offering a challenge that you can focus on for the week. So last week, we challenged you to leave a good luck message in a public space. Um, I, I will admit that unfortunately, I did not have a chance to do this yet, but oh, I meant to tell you this, something amazing happened. Do you remember when I said, um, that I used to like to leave like heads up lucky pennies. I was walking to the park and I found a one cent euro, which basically don't exist anymore. Like they're not in circulation. Like they just, they're just not, but it was a copper coin, like a penny. And like all the coins I've seen here are silver. And I just couldn't believe, I haven't seen one in a year that I've lived here. And I just found it on the sidewalk. So I picked it up and put it on my pocket. <laughs> like not even thinking about germs, but it was very cool. It was one of those things that like the, when we talk about manifesting magical moments, I was feeling really sad that I was like, oh, I'm not going to find a lucky penny. And I just found one. It was very cool. Basically, I, I, I failed this challenge and I'm sorry. And I'm going to try to try to do something else. Did you do anything? No, we have rocks currently on our stairs leading up to our house um, that have little messages that say courage and hope and strength. And they're also little <laughs> projectiles that my toddler can throw at. Um, rocks are quite heavy, so it's a um, double-edged sword, but they are cute and hopeful to see. <laughs> Man, I, I mean, I do, I love the idea of painting a rock, and that's something I could do and leave in a space. Like I like that better than taping something to a mirror in a public bathroom, which was my original idea. It is cute to see little colorful rocks that are painted and in left places. Um, what is that like geo tagging where you can find those spots? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I did that in Harrisonburg while I was on crutches, just crutching around trying to find a rock in a stream. I eventually let my, my team go ahead, but, um, yeah, I remember seeing them in Florida a lot too. They're like painted rocks that you could find, 
Why hasn't that resurged during COVID times? Well, this week, our challenge is to thank a mentor. So if there's someone in your life, whether they were a formal mentor who you have worked with or are currently worked with, or just someone who had a huge impact on you that you um, admire and, and looked up to, uh, take five minutes and let them know. You can send an email or write a thank you note. Um, I, I know that would mean a lot to me if someone, someone like, especially if it had been a long time, I've done it a couple of times. I've like emailed a professor who I, you know, 10 years later, and it's, um, it's always been a really sweet moment. And just, I think we can all use some extra encouragement right now. So that's it. That's the challenge. Next week, we're going to be continuing the theme of the role of luck and fate in life by exploring astrology, relationships, and beyond. Yes! To infinity and beyond. Okay, it's fine. Thanks for listening. We're so glad you're here. Every week, we'll be creating a safe space to come together. Join us. We didn't know what snack time was when it started, but we knew it was a sacred ritual and we knew we were showing up for each other. The first invitation turned into long-lasting friendships and chain reactions. So we'll keep moving forward, observing the world around us, and holding on to hope. Friends in our cohort said snack time was the break they didn't know they needed. Maybe this is the podcast you didn't know that you needed. Until next time, peace, peace love, and, and snacks. snacks. I'm really struggling with words more than I wanted to. Like saying stuff is not... Um, it's just not that helpful. Actually, that's what we do on the podcast. We, we say, say stuff. stuff. <laughs> Our new tagline. We eat snacks and we say stuff. For a whole hour. Um, <laughs> what stuff did we say? We don't know. So glad you're here. <laughs> Keep listening. <laughs>